I think that, you know, in, com in having this conversation about drugs, um, I think it's so important that for young people, we understand that because our brains are developing, it isn't, it's not just abstract, like, you know, structures are forming in our brain. It's also this time where we're discovering who we are. Right. And we discover who we are through the activation of our pleasure center, because you are what makes you feel good and what makes you come alive. And that is the same center that is activated when we use drugs. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners. As always, Steve Opolinik, your host for the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Super excited to have you guys here today. Uh, episode 41. Our guest today is Rana Hashemi, aka The Drug Lady, aka The Real Drug Lady on Instagram. We get deep into conversations about substance use, behavioral addictions, drugs, and how it affects the brain, but then also how to work with youth in many different ways, not just abstinence from drugs, but also education, specifically related to education on how we bring awareness to the body, the brain, our needs, the underlying root causes for some disconnections that lead to addiction and lead to reliance on drugs and behaviors. It's a really great conversation. Rana has such an amazing outlook on life. She shares with us her personal journey and something we didn't actually get to record that happened after we shut off the microphones. We started talking a little bit more on what the future looks like for care regarding drugs and community and talked about what Portugal is doing regarding that front. And so if you haven't ever looked into it, go on the internet and look up Portugal's approach to substance use, addiction, and drugs in general, and you'll see how they're approaching things a little bit different. Rather than throwing people in jail and, and fining them and you know arresting them for certain uses, they are being more preventative with education, which is what Rana and I talk about, but then also they get to create different approaches that aren't punitive, but more supportive and, communi and community-based. And so we started talking about that, and then we started talking about a little bit of the difference between legalization of drugs and decriminalization of drugs. And so she was educating me on the differences between that, and so you should look into that as well, and how there are programs in the mix right now who are trying to create grants to get people back on their feet when they're found using drugs or struggling with addiction, meaning they can apply for grants to either further their education or get supportive help around reestablishing themselves into a strong supportive community. So I know that's not in the podcast, but do some education on that. Contact Rana. 
uh, go to her website, which will be in the show notes. Follow her on Instagram. And if any of that piques your interest, stay tuned for the, the podcast and then reach out to either myself or Rana about that. So I can't hype it up more than that. I think there's some great knowledge here. Take a listen. And here's episode 41. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome to the podcast, Rana. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. How awesome. Are you? I know it's a weird way to start a podcast, like just a check-in, but I always feel like, especially in COVID times, it's, it's necessary to check in with a person before we get into anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's Friday and um, get to turn off notifications and emails soon. And so I'm looking forward to it. Yes. I have to move my brother this weekend, but besides that, it's just going to be some reading of fantasy novels and just chilling out. So I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to that as well. Awesome. So I know that um, I heard about you through Isabella Prida's podcast. Uh, you were an episode or two ahead of my podcast with her. And so I listened to it. I really enjoyed it. And so I outreached to you because I love what you're doing. But do you think you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, and what it is that you're passionate about? Sure. So um, I work as a drug educator, but I'm also helping schools you know, build out their own drug education programs. Um, and I also working as a researcher in the public health field um, so that, you know, our policies and our interventions are informed by science and um, moving away from historically it being very moralistic um, and stigmatizing. So um, I've been doing this work since I transferred to UC Berkeley as an undergraduate back in 2014. So I was quite young when I first discovered how important this was for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that discovery came out of, you know, seeing the contradictions in society of, you know, young people and adults using drugs. And as a society, we've chosen to uh, approach it by threats of punishment or stigmatizing people, hoping right. that will change their decisions. And as someone who used drugs, who was affected by stigmatization, um, you know, I recall being a high school student and knowing that I had a problem, but afraid to go to anybody for the matter, not even knowing who to go to. Um, I had a single mom and, you know, at this, and at the same time, you know, it was 2010 financial crisis. And so I knew there was a lot on her plate, but I didn't have anyone else to go to either. And so the disconnection and the fear of asking for help pushed me, you know, into more problematic cycles, even right. though there was a part of me that I wanted someone to see me. Um, and, you know, I've seen friends die. I've overdosed a couple of times myself, non-fatally. Um, I've seen friends who have just lost opportunities in life, you know, because of how as a society we handle drugs and treat people who use drugs. And so, it's really important for me that we start with education and we start with young people who are the most vulnerable to stigma, um, you know, to racism, to, right. you know, punitive policies. And so for me, it's all about making sure that comprehensive drug education that takes a harm reduction approach that is about connection, that's about compassion, 
is accessible to all young people, whether that's formally in a drug education classroom or adults and parents are prepared to have these conversations. That's amazing. So first, let me say thank you for being so open and honest about your own journey with it, because I really think that's important in the work um, that you're trying to do and, and put out there is, is to bring honesty and be upfront about this stuff, because I think you're right. So much of it is fear-based and punitive and that disconnects us more. Right. And I think one of the things that you talk about with like drug use or substance use or any kind of addictive behaviors that, that do happen is this lack of connection, this real feel of lack of connection and, um, I was talking about this on another podcast with my own eating uh, disorder and, and food addiction and how I would try to hide it because I felt shame. And the more I hid it or the more I took food into the basement and ate it where no one would see, the more disconnected I felt, the more I had a secret, the more I stayed away from reaching out for the help that I needed. So I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think it. it there's a lot to that because I think what you're saying, not only with the drug use and, and, you know, individuals, but sy systemically, this is really important how we structure our, our government and how people respond to it and how racism, racism's involved in it. And, you know, socioeconomic status is involved in all of this as well. Yeah. The, the change is both internal and external that we need in society. Yeah. And I say that because, you know, as you mentioned, there was this disconnection within you, you know, that there was this shame. So the part of you who was using food um, as a coping mechanism for something felt disconnected from the rest of you. So you had to hide it from you. Right. But then also as a society, we hide people. We hide people that we consider to be problems away from the public eye. And so the, the disconnection happens, you know, both in internally and externally. And, um, you know, recovery to me is about building healthy connections, you know, recovering myself, you know, from that fragmentation. And, you know, today I don't, you know, I don't go to AA. I don't, I've never actually needed to have, you know, an abstinence approach. For me, it didn't, that wasn't necessary because the trauma for me stemmed from my learning disabilities okay. and being in a school system where my learning type was seen as a problem and I was disconnected from that healthy environment. And when I went to community college, my world transformed because all of a sudden the learning system was different and I was able to have a healthy connection to learning and then thus myself and it right. healed the trauma of school and the like I, and that was where I had the revelation of, it was never the drugs, you know, the, the problem began before the drugs. And because I do, I am doing my work in school, you know, and I'm healing that connection, that relationship that I have with learning, I was able to heal the part of me that needed to use drugs. And so there was never this, I never felt like I had to force myself to not use because I feel powerful today. Right. And I think that's really important because when you using myself as the example, right, when you have a behavioral addiction, it's a lot for me, it was food and it's a lot harder to stay away from food and survive and practice abstinence in that sense. And so it becomes more about the root cause of what's causing that. And so, so much of this stuff is, you know, in the clinical terms, we call it dual diagnosis, but really it's just saying, Hey, 
when we reach outside of ourself to try to find balance in self or, or we become reliant on certain things to manage internal stuff, that's where it starts. And then it expands through, you know, whatever situations you go through and there's, you know, mental addictions and physical addictions. They're, they're all a little bit different, but I think you're right. You can't really work on one without getting to the root cause. Totally. And so much of, um, you know, traditional recovery models or tradition prevention and intervention models focus on the manifestation of that disconnection. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also someone who overcame, you know, an eating disorder. Um, today, I, my addiction that I'm struggling with is social media. Oh, it's, it's hard in COVID. The, Social media is so hard right now. It's you know? hard. And but, so that says so much of like, what is it that we're really craving that mm. this is acting as a substitution for? And so, you know, that's why so much of my approach is grounded in compassion because, you know, we are, we are trying to meet our needs in the best way we know how. And then, you know, the other piece of it is viewing the object of our addiction as not the problem, but rather a teacher. So when I work with young people, I don't ask them, okay, so tell me what's wrong with your pot use. Like, what are the issues that you're seeing in your life? Um, I ask them what's right with it. You know, what is it doing for you? What's the right. benefit that you're getting? And obviously the first answer is like, well, I just like getting high. I'm like, well, what is it about the high? Exactly. And then you kind of get to the deeper levels of, you know, well, it helps me feel relaxed. It helps me connect. You know, it relieves my boredom. Those are fundamental human human spiritual, you know, needs. And as a society, you know, unfortunately it's, we're structured, it's structured in a way where people are not getting their needs met. There's increasing disconnection, there's increasing insecurity, fear, polarization, and all of these things, um, you know, we seek external objects to fill voids inside ourselves. Um, it's not the most skillful way because for example, with drugs, you get high, but then you always come down, you yeah. know? And I think I spent so many years trying to sustain that high, like stay faded all day kind of mentality. Or chase um, it, right? Like but, chasing you know, that I was original just, feeling too. Or it. Yeah. And my, my days were consumed with when am I going to smoke weed, you know, and how can I keep smoking weed until I fall asleep? And, you know, I think one of the most revolutionary practices that I found was um, have you heard of nonviolent communication? I have. Yeah. Why, why don't you tell a bit about it for the, the listeners? Sure. I, I love that. So if you nonviolent communication is a method of communicating, um, with others, but also you could do, use it on yourself that gets to the universal human needs that we all have. So rather than having a conversation that fosters disconnection, mm -hmm. um, and defensiveness, you, 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 the framework that they teach you helps you connect to what is this shared value or the need here? Um, and then what is it that you need to restore balance? And so if you go on nonviolentcommunication.com, I think it's nbc.org, you can print out a, a needs inventory. And I carried, I printed this out and I carried this in my purse um, for, you know, maybe two years. And every single time I had an uncomfortable feeling arise, I learned to really get excited by those because <laughs> feelings are a doorway to what needs are not being met. So right. I was, I was actually quite bored with feeling good whenever I was happy, like there was nothing to learn there and being someone who's very curious and is trying to uncover the truth of my, um, of my being, 
um, I found that the uncomfortable emotions say so much more. Oh, and so I would, take, I would take out the list and I would connect it to, okay, well, I'm feeling uncomfortable and my need for authenticity is not being met right now. Well, how can I actually address that? You know, because mm. I've, I have learned that drugs, food, social media, um, and attention from men are all ways that I can satisfy my uncomfortable feelings, but not, they don't actually meet my real needs. Right. So, you know, it's about that self knowing of like, what is it that we are actually looking for? Yeah, I think you, you've just said so much in the last five minutes. So, so I want to take it back a little bit and, and break it down piece by piece of, of what stood out for me. The first uh -huh. thing I think that was really important was almost like seeing the reaction instead of seeing uh, the reason. And so I work with some younger kids. I work with a lot of kids who have ADHD or anxiety or learning disorders. And this is something I hear all the time with schools. They get frustrated with the kids and say, they're, they're, they can't sit still. They're, they're not paying attention. They're not listening. And they're judging based on behaviors. Whereas if we could change that and put the uh, magnifying glass on, well, what might be going on that's causing that? Then we have a more generative way of approaching education with some, with some of these kids. And I think it transitions through everything, through any kind of diagnosis or any kind of emotional distress that comes up is, okay, here's the presentation. And that might be really frustrating for someone who's working with you or living with you, but why is this happening? Or what is it doing for you? Like you were saying when you were working with some of the kids about the marijuana component. Um, so I think that's fantastic that you're, you're putting out that out there and using educational programming to kind of talk about that. The second thing that, that always comes up for me when I'm working with people and talking about marijuana, especially adolescents is one of the things, again, why, how you were talking about it is what is it doing for you? One of the things I usually get from the adolescents when I talk to them about this is it's pretty much putting them in a state of mindfulness because it's heightening their senses. It's making them present, you know, unless they go on a bad situation and they're hyper-focused on the wrong things. Um, you know, the taste, the smell, the, the, the colors, the feeling of the couch, you know, there's that movie where Puff Daddy's rubbing a wall and he's uh, get them to the Greek. I think it's called, and he's rubbing about the wall and it's a furry wall. And he's like, Oh, it feels so nice. And I think that's an important thing to also talk about is, okay, it's putting you in a state where you're not necessarily worried about other things. You can really be here and listen to your senses. And if you're in a safe environment, when that happens, that's really relaxing and it helps you calm down and it helps you be present. And that that's mindfulness in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love, um, I love you calling that out because that's really what all drugs are doing. Mm -hmm. They're allowing you to feel safe in the here and the now, you know, it, it's, I, I use a Christmas tree analogy. So when someone gets high, we have all these receptors in our brain already and, and mm -hmm. we have the communication happening and you can almost imagine like lights flickering on and off and our brain, our own natural, you know, in, internal drug dealer and manufacturing site, yeah, yeah. you know, here and there. Um, and then what drugs do is just basically amp up the volume by externally, you know, manipulating that, that lighting system, mm -hmm. allowing us to make more connections, pick up on more, feel more and see more. Right. Um, and, but the question is, is why are so many 
kids unable? What, what is preventing us from being just here in the now? You know, there, why do we need something external in order to feel okay in our bodies, in order to actually access our senses? Um, you know, to have this multidimensional sensory experience um, that drugs are a portal to, but they're not the only way there. Exactly. And there's that Rumi quote of there's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There's a, there's a thousand ways of altering our state of mind. Um, and I think options are important. Um, when we don't have options, that's when imbalance happens and we become dependent the same way that if we only have one person, if like, if, you know, I use this example with teenagers is, you know, if you fall in love with someone else before you fall in love with yourself, you will become dependent because yeah. you don't have a way of meeting your needs first. And so it's about any relationship we get in, whether it's with drugs, with, you know, video games, with school, with people, we have to have, we have to keep in mind, what are the other ways I'm going to satisfy the same thing this person is doing for me? Exactly. I think that's so prevalent and, and profound to, to hear, because I think a lot of times at that age, and I could put myself back to that age, and it was really easy to find the one thing that worked and, and stick to it and become attached to it. And then when it falls to shit, feeling like it's the end of the world because that was the one thing that was giving me balance. And then I don't have that anymore. And I think that's, and again, that leads to the cycle of disconnection because you're overly attached to one thing that's not always going to be there. And so what you're, you're saying is there are thousands, if not millions ways of, of getting to the same place, discovering and educating yourself on them and playing with them is a really healthy way to move forward in life because now you're you're kind of building up your skill set and you're not reliant on just one yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's such an empowering feeling to have, you know, different tools to meet your need. Like I was just reflecting on this the other morning where I woke up, you know, feeling like I had a lot of anxiety in my head. And, you know, I was able to like bring out my journal because like now I, I write, I've learned what, a way of like, one way of getting anxiety out of my head is by writing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, oh, I can, you know, exercise or I can do some breath work practices of like four, seven, eight breathing just to calm my nervous system. And I just felt really proud of myself in that moment of like knowing how to both diagnose my issues and then also to solve them in a way that had a multitude of benefits. Whereas in the past, you know, I would just wake up and if I didn't feel well, I would just smoke weed all day. Right. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, if that's the choice that you're making, but you know, it's healthy to just have choices too. So that's, I have options. Cause like yesterday I wasn't able to smoke weed all day. So that would have gone in the way of me getting my work done. Right. Um, yeah. So able to meet my needs in a way that address my whole self, which is, you know, both the person who wants to feel good, but is also wants to achieve. Yeah, I love that. I I do a similar thing when I'm working with people in sessions or even when I'm talking to people. And I think I'm a huge geek. You can see the Captain America stuff in the background. But um, so I like to liken it about building your your Batman's utility belt, right? And so Batman is, is a good example. Let's stay away from the trauma of Batman because it's not the best example of how to deal with trauma and becoming a vigilante. But his ability to 
meet needs in multiple ways. He's a master of that because that's why they call him a detective. He, he always plans out and then he has a backup plan to a backup plan to a backup plan. And so when I'm working with younger kids, if we're doing, um, you know, emotional zones like the blue zone or the green, yellow or red zone, and we come up with ways to move into these zones or move from these zones, some kids, I have them make an actual utility belt and have mom or dad print out what that thing is as, as a thing. And they have to go to Batman's utility belt that they have hanging up and pick it, pick one out to kind of meet the needs that they're looking for that day. And I think having that ability to say, Hey, this is what's one, the awareness, like you're saying, this is what's going on for me. I can understand what's, what it is now, which, which flavor do I want to use to meet the need? I think that's amazing. I, I love that example of the colors. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you're referencing like energy centers, mm-hmm. but it really just speaks to how much more multi-dimensional we are as human beings. And that oftentimes like the issue is not just like, oh my, I didn't eat well today. You know, it can be some other level and you're exposing young people to the different varieties of selves within themselves. Um, and then they can become friends with those. Um, yeah, definitely. They can embrace and honor as opposed to run away or hide or yeah. fight. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked about it on here a lot, but I like that imagery of embracing your emotion, which is basically what you said before is what is it telling you? What is, where is this coming from? Yeah. And what is it telling you and finding that and then figuring out what can I do to meet that need right now, as opposed to pushing it down or hiding from it or, you know, exploding about it. I think it's really needed. And it's something I learned in yoga. I got trained to do yoga as a 12 step recovery program. And we're hoping to have uh, a, a session coming up by the end of the month because we're working on building it through a zoom class. And it's one of those prevalent things that I took away from that training was really embracing as opposed to running away or, or fighting or freezing in the face of those needs and emotions. Cause it's just, it's a message from your body, just trying to bring awareness to an imbalance like we've been talking about. And if we don't pay attention, that just keeps cycling over and over again. Yeah. We have to celebrate our symptoms because it's a sign that, you know, our internal wisdom and communication system is working. And I actually think that when we deny um, that voice, that inner voice, eventually it shuts down. Like you may not have this experience, like, you know, if you're eating, you know, if if like, let's say you do a detox, you know, and then um, you're eating super healthy and then you pick up a bag of hot Cheetos, Mm -hmm. you will feel so sick afterwards. But if you keep eating and, and you'll feel sick and that's your body's symptoms telling you that like, hey, I don't know how to process this. What the hell are you putting in me? But if you keep eating bags of Cheetos, eventually that voice becomes diminished and it stops talking to you. And then who are you going to listen to? Mm -hmm. We're constantly being manipulated. We're constantly have all this information coming at us. And if we don't have our own internal wisdom as something that we are in connection with, then we are going to be vulnerable to other people's influences. And I say that as someone who has ADHD, that there are so many labels put on me that were not true, but I didn't actually listen to myself to know that I am smart. I am powerful. I have, you know, abilities and that I don't need to be medicated in order to be successful. Yeah. Um, and 
Yeah, I think that also as someone who's AD, who has ADHD and who's had issues in the traditional learning system, I've really gotten excited by seeing my own body and my own experience as a learning experience, as a learning system. Yeah. Uh, that I can I can learn internally, and it, it's much more adaptive to my learning style than it is sitting in a class and getting lectured at. Yeah, and I I love that. Um... First, this is, I think, the second podcast that we've had Hot Cheetos come, come up on, oddly yeah. enough. Uh, second, I do, <laughs> I do think you're 100% right. Like, it's a muscle, right? Um, doing healthy, making healthy habits, picking generative outcomes for yourself. That's a muscle that we have to constantly work. And if we start to ease back on it and let it atrophy, then we don't know that we have to do that as much. And your points about ADHD, I love because so much, you know, what we see a lot of times is that there's anxiety and depression that also come along with that diagnosis, because you have to think about how often young kids get told that they're not listening or sitting in place, or they can't get it. And they start to internalize, you start to internalize those messages. And so now you start to think something's wrong with you, whereas nothing's wrong with you. It's just a different way of learning or, or thinking and actually it can be really generative for problem solving and creativity there's a reason why it still exists and a lot of historians look back on it and and think okay at some point that ability to think outside of the box and be creative in a way that other people aren't doing saved villages or tribes and that's why genetically it can get passed on is because there's a value to it it's just about harnessing it and learning yeah. It's awesome. Awesome. And, and it way. really is, you know, I want to make one more point about the ADHD thing. You know, we can say it's a superpower, but like I want to define it exactly how it is a superpower right. that I can't pay attention to things that I don't care about. And that is exactly. such an amazing skill to have because now I know exactly what I care about. And I think that I have a lot of friends who are still, you know, listening to what their parents told them to do. You know, they, they went and became lawyers or doctors, but not because they really wanted to, um, but because it was what you're supposed to do. I physically cannot do that if I do not care about it. And it's such an amazing way of being authentic to myself and how much happier I am just knowing what, like I, I can go into a new lecture, I can go to a talk and immediately I'm like, do I care about this? No, I don't. And I don't care about it if I can't pay attention because ADHD comes up for me when I'm not engaged, but right. when I am engaged, there's no symptoms. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. I, th I think that's a really important point. And I think, unfortunately, being in school systems and working with school systems, that's um, a concept that's not really yeah. held to the chest in, in the sense of like the value isn't there sometimes for certain school systems. And so, it becomes about how do you get a kid through school so then they can start chasing that. And I think it's a, just a mindset work on small buy-ins that yeah. can help you do it, um, and, which is a lot of the work I do with the families and, and some of the kids. Yeah. And I think I, you know, in the beginning when I started to first, you know, see, you know, what was real, which was that I was not wrong or broken or bad, but I was in a broken system. Mm -hmm. Um, my, you know, intent was, well, I'm going to fix the school system. And, 
you know, as I, you know, studied a little bit more, I'm like, oh, well, a lot of people are trying to do this and it's really important work, but it's also, um, I found a loophole and that is drug education. That yeah. is, you know, by federal mandate, every single school in order to get, you know, there's this, this sum of money that most schools get are required to have some sort of drug education or prevention program. And there is no law that that needs to be a zero tolerance approach. Right. That was widely adopted because, you know, D.A.R.E. had really great marketing. Yeah, um, I was going to bring D.A.R.E. up and how. Yeah, D.A.R.E. and Nancy Reagan promoted this just say no approach, but that's not actually the policy. Mm. And so what a lot of schools do, though, is, you know, they adopt a zero tolerance policy because it's an easy way of just getting the job done. We're sending the message that drugs are not okay. But really, for me, what drug education is, is a space for belonging, a space to not only receive accurate education about drugs, but for the kids who are curious or the, the kids who are not neurotypical to have a place where they can go and feel that their, their you know, curiosities, their interests can be, are accepted, are valuable, you know, their experiences can make a contribution and to have this alternative learning space be what drug education is all about because we know the link between ADHD and drug use. Yeah. And also a lot of the times kids with ADHD don't feel engaged or valued in traditional classroom environments. Um, you know, it's, if they do sports, that's great, but if they're not in sports and they're not, you know, top of their class, then where do they belong? And I, you know, one of my projects that I did in the Oakland Unified School District, um, you know, I was a, a drug coach so students, instead of getting suspended or expelled, they would um, get referred to me and I would work with them, you know, just kind of like I mentioned, you know, what are you really looking for? How do we also get you engaged in other meaningful opportunities? This is not about changing you, but really like I want to empower you to like live the life you want. And even if that means you're smoking weed, like that's fine. But, like, let's make sure you're taking care of the things you also care about. And slowly by slowly, I noticed that students would come voluntarily to my groups. And it, it wasn't just about drugs that we were talking about. Right. It was the attitude that I was conveying, that you matter and that I'm curious about what you're talking about. And I think you can make an impact in the school. And so students started to go out and do presentations. They would do you know, art campaigns where they were raising awareness about drugs. Uh, even though they were also students who were using drugs. And I think right. it just speaks to how much um, potential there is in, in kids that we see to be as the problems and actually solving the things that us as adults and school systems need so much help with. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel for teachers. I really do. I've seen how burdened they are. And I understand that when we are burdened and that we are stretched thin, that we act in ways that are out of integrity or out of balance. And so even if teachers understand that, you know, they are working in broken systems and that students have multiple learning needs that are not being met, unfortunately, they can't, like, I think we put too much on teachers' plate. Yeah. We need to create 100%. other spaces. Yeah, I love that. And just how showing them some connection and interest and grace pulls them in because someone who does groups myself, it's amazing when people come to them out of want as opposed to out of being for <laughs> forced to come. It's a whole different feel that the group takes on. Maybe the first couple of times it's like, oh, I guess I have to go here. But then 
for them to keep coming back or people coming because they've heard about it is, is a great feeling because it creates more of that connection and, 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 um, you know, space for them to do the work. So that's awesome that you had that experience. And I love that you're advocating for that. I want to jump a little bit because your Instagram handle is the drug lady and that's also the name of your website. So I love that because it is right out there. It's bold and it's controversial. I, I'm sure for some people to say the drug lady, what is she, what's she talking about? Is she promoting drug? What, what is that? But I think that's right where the work you do is. So I love that connection to it, but tell me how that came up and do you get any blowback for, for that? So I don't get blowback, but I get people to pause and think, which I think is, is helpful because it breaks associations that are like, you know, hardwired in their brain. Yeah, I love that. That's you know, awesome. Drugs and ladies. <laughs> but actually the way that that came in, came, came about, I actually manifested it, not to sound like I'm not, okay, so I'm, you know, I believe in science, you know, I'm like working, I'm a professional and all of that, but also there's a side of me that, you know, I, I like you know, to think about and envision what it is that I want. And when I compare, you know, my, you know, visionary side with like the hard working side, beautiful things happen. And so, um, you know, I learned this practice of um, written affirmations and it was the summer after I had graduated, I was about to start this job with the Oakland Unified School District, you know, building out their programs but also being on the ground working with kids who, were caught as an alternative to suspension or expulsion. And I was like, really like thinking about like, what is it that I want to be doing in this world work? Well, first of all, I want to be a safe space. I want to be a person that, you know, young people can come talk to about their drug use or their curiosity and that they have, they receive accurate information from me. Um, and you know, that when we have conversations, they, they leave feeling good about themselves. Um, and they just, they just know that somebody cares about them and that there's someone that they can go to. Mm -hmm. And so the practice of the written affirmations that I would do is I would write what I wanted 15 times. So like, I want a car, I want a car, I want a car, but it was too hard for me to like break down this idea of like who I wanted to be into, you know, the 15 lines. So the way of just like compartmentalizing it, I was like, I want to be the drug lady. And I wrote that 15 times. And I completely forgot about that term because it was just like a random, like, like mental birth, basically, of like right. trying to like, um, yeah, trying to like reduce this larger concept. And so it was like my first month out of school in East Oakland, it was a middle school. And, you know, the kids, you know, they're like, who's this new girl? You know, like she kinda, she's kind of young, but, yeah. um, you know, she's like not in class. So this one um, young man came up to me and they would always ask me like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And I had just written a thesis about drug education. So I was like, oh, like, you know, I help, you know, you have access to accurate information and, and I'm trying to challenge like stigmatizing drug laws. And I want to make sure that you have a compassionate person that you can go to that can help you understand like what's really going on in your life. And so he looked at me and he's like, so you're the drug lady. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Awesome. Let's go with that. Yeah. And I totally forgot that I had written that. And so I had gone and I was like, okay, so it spread like wildfire because the kids have Snapchat. And so they would like, you know, sneak, like they would sneak videos of me and they're like the drug lady and it <laughs> spread. And students that I'd worked with in other schools, like 
started calling me the drug lady too, because I was, I was in, I was placed in like 10 different schools in Oakland. And then one day I went back to my notebook and I saw that I had wrote that. Um, and it, it just, it one speaks to how brilliant and creative young people are. Yeah. <laughs> To take all that information and boil it down to like marketing guru right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then also it's also um, you know, a testament to the power of manifesting, you know, what we want. And I've used this practice with with um teenagers as well. They call it, you know, the magic trick, um, mm -hmm. because it always works for them too. Yeah. I've had kids get iPhones, like <laughs> it's crazy once you put it out there to the universe how stuff can manifest. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that's an important thing to to pay attention to our thoughts because it can manifest in, the, in these positive ways, but it can also manifest in in ways that aren't so generative to us. Totally, um, it's it's kind of like our mind is a washing machine, and the cycle is just going to keep turning and turning. And we are not even sometimes aware of the pro of what's in there unless we stop and pull it out. And for me, like a writing practice is so important for that, just to kind of get a stream of thoughts out okay. there. Because otherwise I'm living my day in, you know, most of the time in, in thought loops and some of the thoughts don't even belong there. And I can't even analyze, like, I can't even think critically about that until I pull it out. Yeah, I think that's the power of, of journaling too. Because, you, you know, a lot of people will get these self-help books or listen to books um, that have that journaling component there. Oh, I can do it in my head, but to sometimes to slow down and take stock and pull it out and put it somewhere else has a different feel. And then you can go back and look at it and say, Oh, I didn't realize, Oh, that was powerful. And I just kind of gleamed over it. Um, I do that with my writing. Sometimes I'll, I'll write for an article say, oh, I, I don't like how it feels. I'll step away and I'll come back and, and there's actually a lot of good content there, but because I was just self-editing the whole time, I wasn't paying attention to it. And so I love that practice. I, I think it's, you know, it's so much of it is about trusting ourselves and, and we don't even realize how brilliant we are and how many answers we have for our own problems until we can make, take space um, and either talk about it with somebody um, draw it out, write it out. Um, but we can really come up with so many solutions for our own problems. And, and in some ways, like there's some things I don't talk with friends about, um, because they won't help. Um, they don't know, they don't know what the intricacies of my problems I do. And so, but the thing is I need to have a conversation with myself. And so whatever medium that is for young people to figure out whether it's through writing poetry, doing art, um, talk to a friend or, or journal, but create space to come home to yourself because that's where your gifts lie. That's where your wisdom lies. Yeah. I love that. For me, it's longer runs without music. Yeah. I, I do a lot of processing as I run and, and working mm -hmm. through things. And so I really, I, I like to run without music or podcasts or anything just, just to have that clear mind. Yeah. It makes the run tough, but it also makes you present while you're doing it and you can work through it in a bunch of different ways and it helps build resilience, I think. So I, I love that. Yeah. And All the right. burden of it is lifted afterwards. Yeah, definitely. So I have two questions that I always end the podcast with. I'm going to hit you with them. You can answer in any order. We kind of referenced it a little bit in, in the earlier stages talking about superhero powers. Um, and so the first one is if you could have any superpower 
ever, what would it be and why? And then the second one is, what do you think is your superpower? Hmm. Okay. I love this because I, I've thought about this before. If I could have any superpower, I want to live a day in someone else's shoes. Like to literally be in their bodies and their minds and to experience the world through their senses, through their experiences and their memories. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it would instill so much empathy in me and help me just, you know, we are so limited in our senses and I just like want someone else's senses, you know, and yeah. a human, a human experience as well. So That's I don't awesome. want to be a bird. I want to be another person. Yeah. I love but, that. That's good. Yeah. And then what would you say is and then your superpower? If I, own, um, I don't judge. I think, and I think that like is my superpower because people can really be judgmental and people can really like make assumptions. But, um, you know, part of it is like, cause I'm a Libra, I'm very diplomatic and balanced, but also I've been judged so much um, myself for so many, you know, reasons, whether it's my, um, you know, Middle Eastern background. Um, I remember being a first grader when 9-11 happened and kids weren't allowed to have play dates with me because um, we were associated with, you know, terrorists and um you know later on in in middle school like being diagnosed with adhd and being told that um i couldn't do x y and z unless i was medicated and you know just that that judgment that that message of like oh you need something in order to you know function um and then you know with my drug use as well um, you know, the judgment that I received and the stigma just in general of like, I can't, you know, the fear of like not being able to share with certain people, like the experiences that form my life because people are judgmental and they make assumptions. And um, so I don't judge anybody. Um, I seek to understand. And if I don't understand, then the only thing I can offer is compassion. Um, I love that. That's fantastic. Any last words for the listeners, any gems of knowledge that you want to drop for them? I think that, you know, in, con in having this conversation about drugs, um, I think it's so important that for young people, we understand that because our brains are developing, it isn't, it's not just abstract, like, you know, structures are forming in our brain. It's also this time where we're discovering who we are. Right. And we discover who we are through the activation of our pleasure center because you are what makes you feel good and what makes you come alive. And that is the same center that is activated when we use drugs. And so for me, my, um, I was fortunate that my, you know, who I am is the drug lady. And in some ways it was paired with my, you know, the experience with drug use, but I got really lucky with that. Um, I feel like I dodged a bullet and I just want, you know, you to really take advantage of this time in your life to figure out what turns you on, like what really turns you on that you can also make a career out of. And if you do choose to get high in that process, that's fine, but don't let it be a part of, become a part of your life because you need to find your life first. Um, you know, and then for the, for the young people who are listening who do choose to use, um, set boundaries for yourself. You know, the brain, the organ that we are altering with our drug use is our brain. That's our decision-making organ. You have no other organ in your body. Your stomach is not going to make decisions for you. So you want to make sure that you're creating pauses and breaks in your use 
so that your brain can be able to make decisions for itself because it's going to naturally gravitate for, towards the thing that makes you high. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really find your passions, find what turns you on, um, you know, be sensitive to dopamine with that. And then also create boundaries and space in your use so that, you know, even if you are smoking weed or, or doing drugs, you are still making progress in your, in your self-development and discovering who you are. Fantastic. That's a great ending for the podcast. And I, I just want to say thank you. And I was honored. I am honored to have you on the podcast and connect with you in this way. And I, I love everything you're doing and just your general outlook at life. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me here. Um, you know, this is a, this is a drug education space. Um, it doesn't have to look like, you know, a classroom, but I think it's anytime we have um, mind expanding conversations about drugs and people in life, that is drug education. Um. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean project.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at the Promethean project.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.